0: Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and I want to welcome you to our program. We're in a study of a topic called the final redemption of Israel. We're in the midst of that study right now, and picking up from where we last were at, we are at the point of talking about the covenant that God made with Moses and the children of Israel. In our last episode, we talked about how they, God put the judgments on Egypt, and on the 10th judgment, he built the special memorial we call the Passover, and that the stage was set, and that was actually the moment, if you will, in which that they were redeemed. And we see the picture in the Passover, Seder as a memorial of future things, and it's going to be about the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the Lamb that was slain. It's going to be about the Messiah. This is a very important moment in terms of helping define God's redemption and to define the Messiah as the Redeemer. Those are obviously very important points in understanding God's final redemption for Israel. Now, as I said, we're talking about the Mosaic Covenant, But I do want to uh, remind you that the same things that we're talking about right now, about coming out of Egypt and about this Passover Seder, this is going to form the basis of literally how the new covenant is going to be formed by the Messiah, uh, which we'll later see in the Gospels. And so reviewing very quickly, we've seen the covenant with Adam, the covenant with Noah, Uh, the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant with Moses, and now this is actually projecting into the new covenant. The point that I want to make here very simply is there is no plan here at all on God's part of coming up with a covenant that then essentially replaces all the previous covenants. In other words, he's not going to come to a point where he's going to make an agreement with man, well, the other agreement didn't work out so good, so we'll make a new agreement, and we'll replace those others. That is not the language. That is not the intent. It's very clear that God is manifesting himself and is revealing more and more through the covenants, extending through, and none of this early stuff is going away. It's serving as the foundation leading to the Messiah. So let's go back and let's look at some of the detail now of the covenant that God made with Moses um, and the children of Israel. They have journeyed out of Egypt. They are in the wilderness. They've now come to the mountain. Again, I want to remind you, God told Moses to bring the children of Israel to that mountain. And he did so so that he could establish the covenant with the children of Israel. So this is now going to become the Mosaic covenant, the covenant with Israel formed here at the mountain. In Exodus chapter 19, beginning at verse 4, it says the following. The Lord says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my possession amongst all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be a, to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. And, and the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. There's the basis of an agreement. Now, as opposed to uh, previously God just stated, now he's involving the people, because we're not just talking about a family or a single family. He's now involving the people to be a participant in the covenant. And he and I want you to take note of something, because uh, a lot of people view this passage of Scripture, and they say, well, the covenant that God made with Moses was conditional. Don't you remember it said, now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be. And they like to say, well, historically, Israel did not obey the Lord, did not keep the covenant. Therefore, they were cut off from the covenant, and the covenant ended. That's the reason why God had to have a new covenant. That's the teaching, so forth to it. And they put words into something that it never said. Let me me just say it this way. Uh, It didn't say, uh, along with obey, if you fail to obey my voice and fail to keep my covenant, then you will cease to be my people, and you will not be a holy nation. It doesn't say that. It didn't say that at all. What it said was, if you'll do something good, something good will happen to you. It doesn't give the reverse. If you wanted to look at the reverse, you can go back to Leviticus and chapter 26, where God says, now, if you fail to do this, is what's going to happen to you. And essentially what he said was going to happen to him was not that the covenant would end, but that they would be punished. They would be scattered to the nations. Failure to obey and keep the covenant caused Israel to be scattered by God and has said, but he has also said he's going to be bringing them back because the punishment that we're talking about only has a certain time limit. When I In the first program, I mentioned to you that Paul said in Romans 11, it was going to be coming back after the fullness of the Gentiles, after a certain degree of captivity and scattered amongst the nation. That's the punishment. And in the same way that the children of Israel went down for a certain time limit, 400 years, uh, fourth generation as the language was, then God brought them up. God has specified that the children of Israel would go into the nations because of their sin and their iniquity and acting with hostility toward him. But then there's a time coming when they will come back up. That didn't mean the covenant went away. That just meant that God is keeping the covenant. In fact, let me—I've read this to you before, but I want to renew it again. How profound it is on this point, because it it clearly illustrates the covenant that God made with the Moses and the children of Israel is still in full effect uh, as of even this day. If I take you back, to, please again to Leviticus chapter twenty-six, after talking about all of the potential punishments that would come upon Israel for failure to obey, at verse 40, he shifts gears and he talks about the return. And here's what he says. Leviticus 26, verse 40. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers in their unfaithfulness which they've committed against me, and also in their acting with hostility against me, I was also acting with hostility against them To bring them into the land of their enemies, or if their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember the covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham as well, and I will remember the land. Why wouldn't he just be remembering the Mosaic Covenant? Because the basis of the Mosaic Covenant is based on the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And and if you challenge the Mosaic Covenant, you have to go back and challenge the Abrahamic Covenant. Uh, If you're going to challenge that covenant, you've got to go back and challenge the covenants that God made with all of mankind. In other words, you're saying that God doesn't keep covenant, doesn't keep agreement, whereas he's saying he does. And he'll remember all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to remember to do good to the descendants of Abraham. Um, he goes on to say, continuing here in Leviticus 26, for the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for its Sabbath, which it, while it is made desolate without them. That certainly happened. You and I are witnesses to the history of the world, how the children of Israel were cast out of the land, and the land literally was made desolate uh, without them living there. They, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. And that is true. The children of Israel refuse to obey the Lord. They've been in the nations, um, and, and, and this is what has happened to them. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them nor will I abhor them so as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. Any person who stands up and says, well, God ended the covenant with Israel when the Messiah came because Israel sinned and so forth, has not read these words and is basically saying God is not speaking the truth here. God is saying, I don't care what they do. I will not reject them. I will fulfill my promises I made to their fathers. All they have to do is repent, become obedient again. I will receive them back. I will bring them back and fulfill the promises I made to their fathers for them to live in the land. And he says, but I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors. Isn't that amazing? They don't even have to remember the covenant. God says, I'll remember it for you. Uh, that is, I got I to gotta tell you, when I back when I was in the days when I was a Baptist, and I've shared this before, these are the verses that rocked me. This rocked my theology. I had been told that covenants were conditional. I had been told that God did make a covenant with Israel, but Israel didn't keep it, and we saw all the misdeeds of Israel and acted with hostility toward the Messiah, killed all the prophets, the whole bit. And that God finally got his fill of it and kicked him out of the land and he made a covenant with the church and uh, with the Gentile nations as opposed to with Israel. Well, it is true that God has made covenant with many peoples, but that was the original intent of what he was going to do with Abraham in his Seed and his descendants would all the families of the earth be blessed, and that he called him Abram to Abraham because he was going to make him the father of many nations. And there was going to be many descendants from many nations that would belong to Abraham by faith because they would become the chosen people. And when Moses established the law, the commandments, all of the key commandments, are clearly stated as this is a commandment for the native born, and for the alien and sojourner that may be with you. In other words, any person in the world that believes in the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is part of this covenant, and God remembers the covenant for them, which I find uh, truly one of the most gracious statements that you'll find anywhere in Scripture about what God does for us. And he says, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. That final statement, I am the Lord, is basically saying, I'm not like you. I'm not like men. Um, you know, we as men, when we make agreements with one another, we continue to keep the agreement as long as both parties do their part. Now, so one party can fail to do the part and the other party can kind of hang in there with them for a while. But it's clearly understood that if he wants to step away from the agreement because the other one's not keeping, it, he certainly has the right to do so. But not so with God. God says, when I'm the Lord and when I make an agreement, it's forever. And I don't care what you do. I will... Now, I do care that I want you to obey and keep the agreement because you'll get blessing. If you don't, care and don't keep the covenant, then you will get curses. You won't get the blessings. You'll be punished for it. And the the resolute nature of when God makes a covenant is a little bit like the same thing that happens in all of your families. Um, I'm a father. I have children. Had my son um, gone out and misbehaved, um, and been disobedient to me and in my instruction, I would have punished him for it. Um, it doesn't mean that he loses his last name. I don't. He doesn't get kicked out of the family. I don't uh, disavow him and say, I'm not your father anymore. No. He's always going to be my son. I will always be his father. I will always love him. Now, I would hope that he would turn back And and, uh, be obedient uh, to the agreement that we have as me, father, and him, son. But I'm never going to remove him from the family. It just isn't going to happen. That's the kind of agreement God has made with us. He's a loving, heavenly father. And he demonstrates it to us by being patient with us and remaining steadfast and faithful to us. Again, I go back to anyone suggesting that the covenant with Israel was done away with, um, that God decided to end that covenant by making a new covenant. That is certainly not the reason why the new covenant was made. It's an extension of the other covenants. It was never made to be a replacement for anything. And it wasn't instituted because of failures on the part of the previous covenants or the people in the previous covenants, God continues to keep this same covenant and go forward with it. Now, they were at the mountain, and God gave um, the Ten Commandments. Uh, God spoke the Ten, and then he, uh, because the people didn't want to hear the voice of God again, that was too frightening for them. Moses went up, and he received the rest of the instructions. They came back down again and what we call the mishpatim and and the ordinances of the lord which then formed what we call the torah and and the books of moses the the um, the instructions of the lord and so that that became the basis now of the set of rules of for blessing and for curse again the basic principle is this Obedience produces blessing, disobedience produces curse. At nowhere in here have I talked about salvation. I'm not even talking about faith. If you want to have that instruction, you go back to Abraham where his faith was counted for righteousness. And that righteousness uh, is, is the intimate friend of justice. And justice demands payment, and with payment you receive salvation. That is the teaching that is given through God to Abraham about salvation. It begins with faith and it ends in salvation. It has obe, Obedience is not part of that. And the same thing was true of the covenant that God made with it. Obedience has to do with getting the blessings of the covenant. Disobedience ends up in the curses of the covenant. Uh, but the covenant includes all of those elements for it. The uh, um, and, again, salvation is a different subject from what we're talking about here. So we have God has given his ten commandments and has given us to Moses. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 28 uh, where he's going to you know, put all of this uh, down for us. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments which I command you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. That was the premise. That was the understanding of establishing the laws and the commandments of the Lord. And and blessings and curses still exist to this day. Uh, At no time did the Messiah ever come and say, hey, the blessings don't exist anymore and the curses don't exist anymore. You can go ahead and just do whatever you want. You have the grace of God and you can go and sin and you just don't have to worry about sin anymore. Mm -hmm. Baloney. Uh, You do have to worry about sin because that's the basis of blessings and curses. And even though you might be saved, you are still going to suffer the consequences of your actions, just like the children of Israel did. And the same thing is true even for this day. Now, he explains all these blessings in chapter 28. He reviews the covenant. Here's the blessings. Here's what happens if you disobey the Lord. And here's how he sums it up when he is giving um, this covenant to them. In Deuteronomy chapter 29 and beginning at verse 1, here's what it says. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them at Horeb. In other words, at Horeb was Mount Sinai. In Moab is they're just getting ready to cross over into the land. He's reminding them that I've spoken to you on this twice, and I've said it to you twice now. I made this covenant with you. You need to obey me to get the blessings, disobey You get curses. So he goes on and he concludes there that oration that Moses gives. And in Deuteronomy chapter 29, beginning at verse 9, this is how he brings the matter to a conclusion. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he had made with their... Verse 9 now. So keep the words of this covenant to do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You stand today, all of you, before the Lord your God, your chiefs, your tribes, your elders, your officers, even all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the alien who is within your camps. You notice the covenant includes aliens that are not all native-born Anyone who believes in the God of Israel is part of this covenant. From the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water. That you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God is making with you today, in order that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God, just as he spoke to you and he swore to your fathers, To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, and this is the statement I really want you to take note of. Now, not with you alone am I making this covenant and this oath, but both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, and with those who are not with us here today. Moses says, I'm talking to a group of people here. We're now finishing the exodus from Egypt. We're getting ready to cross over the Jordan. I want to remind you of the covenant that we have made about you coming back to the promised land as God had promised through the fathers. But I'm not talking to just those that are standing here today. Okay, so Moses, who else are you talking to? He is talking To a generation that will be at the end of the ages that will be finishing an exodus themselves. And they will be getting ready to go to the promised land, to the millennial kingdom. Because the promised land is the picture of the millennial kingdom. And the redemption that we're talking about, the final redemption, as we see the story of redemption played out with the Egyptian exodus, we're going to see even the greater redemption, the final redemption, being played out with the final generation. To prove this point, we've been in Deuteronomy 29. Let me take you right to the very next chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and this is who Moses was speaking to that wasn't standing there that day. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1. So it shall be when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I've set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. Stop. Time out. Wait a minute. The generation that he was talking to was getting ready to cross into the Jordan, into the promised land for the first time. They're the ones that came out of Egypt. They were in the wilderness. We know historically... There have been many generations since then. Israel was in the land for a while, all the history of Israel, and then ultimately they were kicked out of the land, they were scattered in the nations, and here you and I are today giving testimony to believing in the God of Israel, and we're recalling to mind this story of redemption. And he's now, Moses is talking to you and me, and he's saying, when you think of these things, when you when you come and you study the final redemption, you're going to find out that you're part of this great plan. You're part of this final redemption. It's intended for you at the end of the ages. You're, it, it's, it's after Israel's in the land a while. It's after they've been scattered. And we're still scattered. We're still in the nations. And here is Moses describing to us where we're at right now today, and here's what he's saying to us. He says, and you call it to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God, and obey him with all of your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity, and have compassion on you, and will gather you again, from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Let me make a very, very profound statement for you. Uh, God gave these commandments to us and um, he laid it out here. Here's the blessings, here's the curses, and so forth. Did God do anything to help us maybe to keep those better, to enable us to keep them so that we could get the blessings? The answer is yes, he did. He sent a Messiah to us who taught us the commandments, who taught us how to keep them from the heart, not just physically doing things. He gave us the Holy Spirit that would lead us into all truth and instruction. We should be keeping the commandments even far better than our ancestors have done. God has come to us through the work of the Messiah and the giving of the Holy Spirit to enable us to obey the Lord. Unless we've been taught that the Messiah came and the giving of the Holy Spirit was so that we don't have to obey the Lord, that obviously would be the opposite teaching of what God said. Because God does want us to obey, return to him, and he does want to bring us back from the nations and take us to the promised land. Now, some uh, of my brethren like to think this is just a fanciful metaphoric story and that we're not really physically going to go there. In fact, some even go to the point, no, no, nah, nah, the way everything works, you, you die in the Messiah, and you just go to heaven. Only the Bible doesn't teach that. It never has. That's a super simplistic way of dismissing all that the Lord has said here. And I would caution you from doing that because um, the Lord has been very emphatic about these statements, and he has said very emphatically, I am the Lord, meaning do what I say and don't, don't put other words in my mouth. Moses warned us about not adding to or taking away. Even the New Testament warns us of that same thing. And yet it seems that that's what has happened even to us. Our sins while scattered in the nations are even more egregious than the ones that Israel had uh, being in the land. If they were punished by kicking them into the uh, nations, uh, what what is our punishment for us here? May I suggest to you that if you look around and see how the world that we're in is getting worse and worse and worse and we're living in the midst of it, that should be some kind of a clue to you that maybe we're not in the blessings. Maybe that we we, sh- we should be seeking the blessings of the Lord uh, from that. All right. So, th- God makes this covenant with Moses and the children of Israel, and there are provisions in the covenant that speak all the way to the future, all the way to this present generation that's scattered in the nations. Again, going back to we're looking for the Messiah to bring the scattered exiles back from the nations. Uh, and again, I remind you of those that would uh, teach covenant theology and replacement theology. You have to defy these words because it's very clear that Moses spoke into the future of our present day as though the covenant was in effect. The blessings and curses are still in effect, and the covenant is still being remembered by the Lord. So that's clearly showing the covenant God made with Moses is doing so. All right, so we have another covenant that we need to address, and this one, if you thought that covenant was huge and important, maybe you've never heard about the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God made with David. It is even just as profound. And this is an area of study that a lot of Christians are not familiar with, but it is extremely important to us, particularly in understanding the Messiah and how it leads into the new covenant for it. Uh, as you know, the story that as the children of Israel were in the land, and there for an extended period of time, there was the time of the judges. The tribes had their individual lands, and God would raise up a judge uh, every once in a while to kind of guide the people and the nations and try to keep them online. The final judge was also a prophet it was samuel and at that particular time the people the people of israel had looked around at the other nations around them and they all had kings and they decided that rather than way god had been doing things with judges and uh, that, that had been over the various tribes at different times that they wanted to be like the other nations they wanted to have a king so samuel was in the position of having to quote kind of negotiate with Israel uh over this business of a king, and as a result uh God allowed Israel to have a king, and the first king he gave to him was um, was um Saul, and this was a king that kind of the people chose um, and Saul was a big healthy looking fella. Um, head and shoulders over other men so he looked like a king that's what they wanted, they wanted something that looked like a king as opposed to really a king of the heart or a king by the Lord Uh, God's intention was that he would be the king for the people Um, he would be the government Uh, but they didn't want to go along with that they wanted to be like the other nations and so they uh, ultimately asked for it well, as I said through Samuel the prophet uh, this came about, Saul became king, and they prospered to a little extent, but not real well it didn 't solve all their problems whatsoever and The day finally came when Samuel had decided that uh, that God is going to establish a king for them, and it would be King David, it would be the youngest son of jesse and he was going to establish something very profound with him being king. If we look back historically on King David, he was the dominant king of all of the kings of the Bible and for the profound things that he was able to do. And God made a covenant with him that forms the basis of the definition of our king Messiah. And in particular, I want to take you to some historical passages here uh, that addresses this and how profound uh, the lord calling king david to be king over israel uh, so forth in second chronicles and chapter 13 verse 5 there's a very profound statement made about king david being made king by god do you not do you not know that the lord god of israel gave the rule over israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt. He made the agreement that David would be king over Israel and his sons forever. And he equated it back to the original intent. How long, you know? Again, the salt covenant. How long has salt been around? Well, it's been around before we were ever around. It's around now and it will always be around after we're gone. And why is the why, where do we get the language of the salt covenant? Where do we get this from? It actually comes from the altar service. Um, if you go back into the study of the Torah and learn about the altar service, in Leviticus 2, verse 13, here's what God's instructions was concerning certain sacrifices. He said, "Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt." So that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering with all your offerings, and you shall offer salt. He goes on further in Numbers chapter 18 and verse 19. Here's what it says. All the offerings of the holy gifts, which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt. Before the Lord to you and your descendants with me. Uh, The reason I wanted to point this out was there may be somebody listening to this program right now said, "Well, my, I've I've been listening to you talk about how the covenant remains with Israel, but you know that whole sacrificial system, uh, you know that went away. No, it didn't. Did it get stopped? Yes. Why? Because the temple was destroyed by our enemies. We don't have an altar." And we don't have the altar service because it was specifically specified by God as to how that was to be done. But if a temple gets rebuilt and an altar gets rebuilt, God's commandments concerning sacrifices are still in effect every bit as much as he remembers the covenant. Because he equates the salt covenant as originating from every gift and altar that is made to his altar. The altar is not just a place where we bring an animal sacrifice. It's the table of God. The altar is where a man comes to do business with God. You want to do business with me? Come to the altar. And, by the way, when you come to my table, bring something with you. I have certain things on my table, but you bring some you can join in with me. On his table, he has the daily sacrifice. He has the, the, the libation. And he has the meal offering. He has bread, he has wine, and he has meat on his table. He said, do you want to bring something? Add in. Bring your whole burnt offering. Bring your whatever offering you want to bring. Let's do business at my table. And then he says, this is my table forever. In fact, it goes even further. The Lord says that the altar is constructed from the stones that only he has made. He specifically instructs in his covenant. He says that, You will not take a piece of metal and hewn any stone in my altar. You will use only stones that I've made. You'll put them together. You'll encase them. You'll make my table uh, for it. That's where you bring your gifts and sacrifices before me. That's my table. It's not hereby because of a man. And then he says, by the way, any sacrifice you put up on there, sprinkle it with salt. The salt is to remind you that when I make an agreement with you, it's forever. It lasts even longer than salt does. So it's called the salt covenant. Now, I point that out to you because no, never before had there been such emphasis like this being put on any of the other covenants, but on King David it is. Talk about getting personal. Um, God is elevating David well above his brethren and equating him as being equal to the salt covenant. And it's to his descendants. So the basis is now formed that not like Abraham and his descendants, something is being formed about King David. From him shall come the Son of God. From him shall come Messiah King. He will be the son of David, and that's the one who will rule on that throne forever and ever. Uh, That's the definition given to his kingship. No other king in the world has ever been given such a definition. No other earthly man has ever been given such an honor as this has said to do this. Now let me remind you about a couple of things about David because he really stands out in the biblical story for us. It was said of David that he um, had a heart to the Lord, even more so than others, because he had a heart to build the house of the Lord. He wanted God to be able to dwell with the people and dwell with them. He, He desired the very fellowship of God, the very heart of God. And the Son of God is specifically to rule on his throne from that house that the Messiah well, in the case of David he selected Jerusalem he bought the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite where the altar was built where the temple was built that is now going to become the house of the Messiah king in the kingdom um, the place when we go to worship the Lord in the messianic kingdom is going to be the place that David established that's how powerful he is in the, in the prophetic picture of what we're looking at here Now, here's what the prophet uh, Jeremiah, he had something to say about the new covenant prophecy, but it's going to tie back to David. Again, let me tell you that there are things from this uh, covenant with David that extend into the new covenant. Let me take you uh, to the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 33 and verse 17, beginning there. I'm going to read through verse 22. It says this. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Now, we heard that before. He has the salt covenant. He's a king forever over Israel and his sons as kings. And then he adds these words, And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings. Can I just tell you to stop right there for a moment? Because... You know, the covenant theology, the people that talk about the replacement, they claim the Levite priests are no more and sacrifices are no more. If you believe that David is the symbol of the king Messiah forever, well, he just equated David as king Messiah, a king forever over Israel, and he said the Levitical priests are right there with him, serving before him. They don't go away. And it goes on to say... Let me repeat that statement. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man before me to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to prepare sacrifices continually. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant for the day and my covenant for the night, so that day and night will not be at their appointed time, then my covenant may also be broken with David my servant so that he will not have a son to reign on his throne and with Levitical priests my ministers. Let me tell you what he just said. If somehow you can stop the earth from rotating so that there's day and night if you can get it to stop so there's just light on one side of the earth and night on the other and there's not the rotation of day and night, if you can get that to do, then yes, you can say that my covenant with David to be king for all where all Israel is and, and the Levitical priests serving before him, you can say they go away. Now, again, going back to some of my new covenant brethren who teach that Hey, that covenant went away. The old covenant went away. It was replaced by the new covenant. I don't recall any time in history since the days of the prophet Jeremiah that the earth ever stopped rotating. It has continued to rotate since those days. And by the way, right now, it's my anticipation that there's going to be a tomorrow, there's going to be night tonight and a day tomorrow, because the earth will continue to rotate. And God has said, if you could get that to stop, which, by the way, you can't, if you could get that to stop, then you could go around and say that my covenant with David and my covenant with the Levite priest don't exist anymore. Obviously, they do exist, and they remain. I want you to note that the uh, king here... um, King David, in this case, it was soundly put into this position. Because the reason why it's so solidly put here is because it's the forerunner of the Messiah. The Messiah is to be the son of David. And it's really truly fulfilled in the son of David who controls eternity. He controls the forever and ever that comes from it. Um, He goes on to say further here, verse 22, as the host of the heavens can be uh, as the host of heaven cannot be counted, and the sand of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. There will always be those that can step up and to do it. God established it. Now, what is the sign of the covenant that God made with David, day and night, just like the bow in the sky is uh, the sign of the covenant God made with Noah. So what's the sign of the covenant with, uh, with regard to David? Day and night. And with the Levitical priests serving for him. He's the one who gathered the materials for the altar and the temple. He's the one that wanted to see the house of God established. It was his son, the son of David, actually builds the house. And he's saying that that stuff is forever. Forever. But as you know, uh, we have a lot of people who teach the opposite of that. And that's the reason why I'm taking the time and talking about the final redemption of Israel to take you back to what did God actually say when he made these covenants with all of us. Because all of them are still in effect today. From Adam, all the way up through Moses, all the way up into King David. Now, that's all the time we have for today, for this program. When we come back, we're going to jump right back into the subject. I'm sure that you're going to enjoy what else we have to say about this subject. So, shalom, everyone. We'll see you in the next program.